0: Hey there green future growers, thanks for joining us today. If you're new to the show, I hope you'll subscribe on iTunes or your favorite Android app and let's get growing. Get your copy of the Organic Oasis Guidebook available today from Amazon for just $26.95 and it's got 12 lessons designed to help you create your own organic oasis Um, it starts with healthy soil. It talks about building an earth-friendly landscape. It helps you understand the difference between annuals and perennials and how to bring in beneficial insects. It talks about fruit trees and just, um, all the lessons that I've learned on my podcast mixed with what Mike and I have done here. Okay. What Mike has done here at Mike's Green Garden and just, um, I hope that it will help you on your garden journey uh to create like I said your own organic oasis um where you can have healthy food and enjoy um you know a very special place, and most of all, it's good for mother earth i' usually I'm so behind, but yeah. uh yeah, I haven't done an interview in like two weeks, so it's kind of strange, I guess. <laughs> but uh, anyway, enough about me. Okay, we are recording, and uh, I'll just introduce you, and, and we'll go from there.
1: Sounds good. All right.
0: Welcome to the Organic Gardener podcast. It is Thursday, April 11th, 2019, and I have a great guest on the line. It's going to be just a super interview from Vermont Grandview Farm. Here is Kim Goodling. Is it Goodling? Goodling. 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 <laughs> here's Kim Goodling. Welcome to the show, Kim.
1: Oh, thank you. Uh,
0: you know, I even have a note at the top of my show notes. Remember to ask person how to say their name. And then I <laughs> always forget. So we'll go ahead and tell listeners a little bit about all the stuff that you've got going on in Vermont. Okay. Or actually start by telling us a little bit about yourself.
1: Ah, uh, um, Well, myself, um, my husband and I moved to Vermont a little over 30 years ago. We were living outside of Washington, D.C. area, and we were just kind of tired of the rat race. And, um, you know, it's one of those places where both people in the household have to have a full-time job in order for you to be able to afford to live there and we were newly married and knew we wanted to have kids soon and knew i wanted to be a stay-at-home mom and so we started looking for other places that we could move that would allow us to do that and i had grown up in the southwestern corner of virginia and just wanted very much to get back to a mountainous region so anyway we found ourselves in vermont um we kind of told family we would come and stay for a couple years, and then we would move back. And that was more than 30 years ago. So <laughs> um, Vermont kind of grew on us. And yes. um, we just loved it here. So um, You know, I was a public school teacher for a few years and then started having my own children, stayed home with them. I ended up homeschooling all three of our children all the way through um, uh, until they graduated from college. And during that time, we started a small homestead and I grew all of our own food, I I did all of my own canning and uh, I froze a lot of food and um, we raised chickens for eggs and chickens for meat. We had pork that we raised. So we were pretty self-sufficient. And the only downside about where we were living is that we did not have a barn, so we couldn't really keep animals year-round. We didn't have a way to store hay, and we just didn't have adequate shelter for them. And so somewhere along the way, we ended up moving, and we purchased this property where we are now, um, because it would allow us to keep animals year-round. And that's when sheep entered into the picture. And we got a small flock of sheep. Um, so that's kind of how we ended up where we are. And, um, you know, as a homeschooling mother, and even prior to homeschooling, um, you know, someone who's an educator kind of by nature. (laughs) Um, It's like everything we do becomes this learning experience. And much of what we did uh, came from a desire to have our children experience this kind of lifestyle. I, I grew up in the country for most of my childhood. I wanted my children to experience that. I wanted them to value hard work and, and kind of develop an appreciation for growing your own food and being self-sufficient. Um, and then with the sheep, I wanted them to experience bringing new life into the world um, with all of its rewards and trials and Um, just to be a part of a larger family uh, kind of farming operation. So that's sort of how we came to be. So on our farm currently, um, all of my children are now grown. My youngest graduates from college in a couple weeks, And I'm an empty nester, and over the past few years, as we've uh, begun to realize that, you know what, the kids are grown, (laughs) and there are just two people here, you know, we realized we don't have to grow the quantity of food that we used to grow, Um, and that's kind of been a hard transition, harder for my husband, I think, than for myself to accept Um, But so there's been less emphasis here on growing food just because we don't need it. We don't need to grow 200 pounds of potatoes anymore, you know. Um, And um, so the garden has gotten a little bit smaller and the flock of sheep has gotten a little bit bigger. Um we also host farm stay guests. We have a farmhouse suite that we rent out to overnight guests. And um I also teach and offer different workshops on the farm. A lot of people will come and want me to do a custom fiber art class for them um, or natural dye class. So I do that. Um, so we're just sort of a very diverse farm, as as many farms must be to make a go of it. Yeah.
0: Well, that was a great beginning. And listeners, uh, it's so funny because when I first asked him to be on the show or we talked about doing an interview, she's like, well, I'm not really much of a gardener at least (laughs) (laughs) anymore, but you have so much experience. Like just because you're not doing it currently, I'm sure you're going to be able to share tons of information for listeners. And then also I'm sure, um, like i am they're also excited to hear about your sheep and the wool and just anything okay. you can tell us about that but you did kind of tell us just a tiny bit about growing up in west virginia but like i always start out asking about your very first gardening experience like oh. do you remember like who were you with what did you grow like what what was the very first memory you have of
1: oh yeah. probably being well... a baby
0: it sounds like
1: yeah, well, my my parents had bought a piece of farm property. It was in, in Virginia, right off the Blue Ridge Parkway. And for a few years, we would just go and stay in the farmhouse in the summer times. Um, and then we finally reached a point where we did live there full time for a few years. And my first gardening memories were... In that farmhouse, I was the youngest of five children. So I was pretty young then. I was like five years old. And um, so everything to me was absolutely wonderful. (laughs) Um, But we had a huge garden behind the farmhouse. And my mother raised a lot of the food that we ate. And my first memories were that... In the summertime, in the morning, we'd all go down, all five kids, and eat breakfast at the kitchen table, and then we had to go outside and work in the garden until lunchtime. And you know, for a little kid, that's a long time. That's you know, three, four hours. You're that's out a really there. long time for now, kids. Now, it is, but you have to understand it's not like my mom's standing there, you know. You know, oh, yeah, and probably guys we're having fun, all of you together and
0: probably digging in the worms th- as much as
1: <laughs> well. Yeah. So the way this would look is um we would all argue over who got to weed the corn because the corn was the most fun to weed because it was like being in this little corn tunnel. You know, you could hide underneath between the rows and the corn stalks would be up over you and nobody would see you. Well, there was a lot of playing that went on in those corn rows that my mother never saw, you know. (laughs) And she was
0: probably just also kind of glad that you were outsizing getting exercise too.
1: Yeah. And, you know, she realized that Uh, We were kids and we needed to play and wanted to play. But what she did want was by lunchtime, we had to show up with bowls of something, either, you know, whatever was ready to be harvested, whether that was peas or corn or beans, you know, we each had a bowl and it had to be full And so, first we would do our weeding and our playing. And then, as we knew lunch was approaching, we're like, okay, now we need to find things to pick. So, we'd fill our bowls, we'd go inside, and we'd eat lunch. And then, after lunch, my mother would be in the kitchen and she would be doing the canning. And my sisters and I would sit on the front porch and we would prepare the vegetables. You know, we would. Um, either shell the peas or we'd shuck the corn or we'd snap the beans, whatever it was. And we would all sit there together and and do this together. And then I was kind of the runner. As soon as we had a bowl of beans that were ready or peas or whatever it was, I would run into the kitchen with my bowl and give it to my mom who was there doing the canning. And I'll never forget just going into the kitchen, we had a pressure cooker. You know, that was back when people really use those things a lot. I know so- I get
0: nervous when Mike uses ours in the in the kitchen in the fall. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, you know, the pressure cooker's going, there's steam everywhere, things are boiling, and my mom is there just working away. And I remember being in complete awe of my mother and just standing there watching her. And, you know, it was just the most beautiful thing. And here I was like five years old, but I just loved that. I loved the community sense that our garden brought to our family. Um, I loved working alongside my sisters and my brother doing this and i just loved seeing my mom in this role of providing for her family and it it was just great i have very fond memories of it now i think my oldest siblings had different memories because They were older and the labor they were doing was harder, you know, Um, but I was, I was just loving it. So that was my first garden memory. And truly that, that memory stayed with me. And those years in that farmhouse are what influenced me and what brought me to where I am today. You know, it instilled in me a love of country living, being self-sufficient, dark, starlit nights, fresh air, mountains. You know, that was embedded in me at a very young age. But those are my youngest memories, Well, that
0: was so eloquent, and you just took us all for, like, a little story. Have you thought about writing children's books? Like, it reminds me of that, uh, you know, who is it, Joanna Gaines, that just wrote the gardening book about her kids? Yeah. Do you know who she is? Like, uh, her and Chip from uh, Flipper, or I don't know, what is it, Fixer Upper on HDTV, and she just wrote the children's book? I think it's just getting published. But you were so eloquent in describing all that. It was like, we were right there with you, the little five-year-old um yeah. watching your mom and just uh what a beautiful memory i and then i was curious the whole time i'm like hmm i'm wondering do her brothers and sisters did they move to the country too where are they at now is this huh. her opinion well, <laughs> so you kind of answered that a little bit
1: <laughs> yeah it's really interesting i'm the youngest of five and i'm in vermont you know very entrenched in agriculture my oldest sister lives on the west coast and they're in Alameda, right outside of San Francisco, and they, she and her husband have a small garden in their backyard, and even though it's tiny, that garden feeds them year-round, so she is very much involved in gardening in a different way than how I am, but no one else in the family, the other three have no interest in this lifestyle or, um, you know, in gardening or raising their own food. They just have no interest in it. And then how about your
0: kids that are now, did you say you, you didn't homeschool them through college, like they no. go to college, but like up I, until like through high school, up until they went to college. Is that what you meant?
1: Yes, I homeschooled them all the way through high school. They all three went to college. Um, my oldest daughter is still in college. She's getting a Ph.D. at Stanford. Wow. Um, cool. Yeah, so, um, but my children, it's interesting. The oldest one is getting a Ph.D. at Stanford, and, um, I would say she's probably never going to have a farm. Um, it's interesting though. She never know. Married, I never know. She married a man, however, that is very interested in a self sufficient kind of lifestyle. And he he's a German, he's a winemaker, and when they first moved to Stanford, he found immediately a community garden and started growing things. Um, his parents had a farm, so i you know I think once she's out of college and you know years from now when they kind of settle somewhere, I would envision that that they would probably have a garden, but I don't think they would ever have animals um, yeah and then my my youngest son, who's just now graduating. He actually was the one that started raising pigs. He came to me one year when he was a kid. I don't know, he was maybe 10 years old. And he said, I want to eat pork. And I said, well, I'm not buying the pork in the food store. So you've got to raise it yourself. And furthermore, you have to raise enough pork that you can sell enough of it to pay for the pork that we keep. So he's like okay. So for years, he's the, the one in our family that raised pigs. And he would raise twice as much as what we needed. And he would always sell it, you know, sell the excess. Um, but I I don't know, he's not really interested in farming. The one that is interested the most is my middle daughter. And after she graduated from college, she did come back to Vermont. And she very much would like to have a small homestead of her own one day
0: awesome well wow you've got so much going on and sounds like great kids that are growing up and you never know and my mom never thought i'd end up with a gardening podcast because i am not the biggest gardener my husband does most (laughs) of the work i'm a big uh organic eater though i love to eat Mm. healthy food and be in a healthy garden and so you probably instilled a lot of that in your kids i'm so curious to know like how many pigs does somebody have to raise to feed a family of you had Three, so five people. Right. Uh, like, what does that look like?
1: Well, like we... two pigs also, or
0: five pigs or...
1: Yeah. Um, you know, we also had our own chicken because we raised chickens for meat. So it's not like pork was the only thing we ate. But we would keep anywhere from half a pig to three quarters of a pig for our own use. And then I would keep 25 chickens for meat every year, uh, which is, you know, that's like a chicken every other week. And I could make a chicken last for several meals, (laughs) you know. Um, I'll bet,
0: like chicken soup and chicken enchiladas and chicken. Yeah, I don't know. There's lots of things you can do with chicken.
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, our rule of thumb what we found was if we raised twice as much as what we needed ourselves, that would cover our expenses. You know, it, it, when we were doing it, we would raise 50 meat birds and we would sell 25 of them and we would keep 25 and then we would just sort of cut, you know, break even. You know, our our birds were paid for by the ones that we sold.
0: Yeah. That seems even almost more than breaking even because you're getting your meat basically for free,
1: Um,
0: which is huge because I'm often walking through the store wondering how in the world do people who have like, my husband eats meat, but very little like compared to most people. And then like, I don't know how people do it. Yeah. (laughs) And I look at the grocery store. I'm just like, I, I can't even imagine. Yeah
1: well so that's a huge savings it it is and you know you begin to really appreciate high quality meat and i can hardly bring myself to buy meat in a food store you know i I just i know yeah and there's that whole aspect i know how that goes as far as like eggs wise
0: when we we like uh ran out of chickens for a couple of years we just had our rooster until we Mm -hmm. got some chickens last fall finally and uh for those two years, not having any eggs was just crazy after having our own eggs for 10 years. It was just, there's no comparison. I'm right. sure. Uh, right,
1: right.
0: So what yeah. did your parent, like when you were growing up, did, I'm sure you were gardening organically or is that how you like learned how to do that? Or is that something you figured out after you moved to Vermont or was it just like always a natural thing for you?
1: You know, that's, that's just how my mother did it. I mean, I don't even think the word organic was a thing back then, <laughs> you know. Yeah, we just... well,
0: my mom still struggles with like, like she just still is like really in like, we always just ate food from the store when we were growing up in all my life. Like, why do I have to go to organic? Like, I just still just don't think the amount of chemicals that people are putting into, you know, the big ag system has just can't quite sink in.
1: Right. And, and, you know, for, for my mom, um, you know, we were not pouring chemicals on our garden. You know, we were just, yeah,
0: well she won't, my mom won't either. She won't let them on
1: and she just, I don't know. Uh, I think she's finally starting
0: to come around a little that it's not just hype and you're not paying just extra
1: for organics. Right. Right. But, you know, we had access to nice manure um, and I don't know, I don't remember there being chemicals on, you know, that were yeah. being used. But um, I forget your question.
0: <laughs> uh, I It was, how did you learn how to garden organically? Oh, but go ahead well, and tell us about something that grew well this year. Because like, you're still growing some food for you and your husband, right?
1: Yes. Now, our challenge, when we purchased this house, it's at a higher elevation than where we were before in Vermont. And it's taken me a long time. We've been on this property 14 years, and I still don't have, feel like I have a good handle on what grows well. But what I have come to realize is 90% of what I grow has to be grown in a hoop house. So I'm doing a lot of growing in a hoop house. And um, my favorite thing to grow are tomatoes. And there's a farm, a huge organic market farm close to us it's called Luna Blue Farm and they are really well known for their tomatoes and in the spring they have a plant sale and they sell off the tomato plants that they don't need to use and I tell you they are the most amazing tomato plants I've ever had um, I, I oh, usually will yeah i usually grow like Seven different varieties um, in the greenhouse, and I'm able to buy the plants and put them in and they're all different varieties, um, many that you wouldn't find if you just went to a plant nursery. Um, but tomatoes grow really, really well for me, and everyone always comments on them, you know when they come, um, but in my hoop house, I grow summer squash, uh, cucumbers, beans, anything that really needs that intense heat, I need to grow underneath cover. Uh, Then outside of my greenhouse, I have two cold frames, and I will put my cold weather crops there like lettuce and kale, um, things that don't need as much intense heat. We'll go outside of the garden. And that's sort of what I've come uh, to realize, you know, that this is how I've got to do it on this piece of property. And as far as how we learned, when my husband and I bought our first homestead in Vermont, we were young <laughs> and we didn't have any children then. And I had not done any gardening for a very long time because my family had moved away from that farmhouse in Virginia. And so we bought a couple books and I'll never forget, we had all our books, we had a neighbor come and plow up this big plot, you know, for our garden. And I would stand in the middle of the garden with my book and my husband would say, okay, now we've got Bean seeds. what's it say about beans? You know, and I turn to the page numbers. <laughs> I love that. I'd read. You know, well, it says do this and this and that. You know, and and then you know, in Vermont, there's a lot of people who are uh, homesteaders who are um, have organic farms. There's just a lot of people, and. I had a friend who had a organic farm, and she raised both meat and vegetables, and she was really a, a great mentor for me, and she still is. Um, if I ever had questions, I'd call her up and say, okay, how do I do this, and how do I do that, you know? Um but one thing I do want to say um the the really nice thing about having animals and a garden is you do have your own source of organic manure that you can use but also we use our animals to uh rebuild the nutrients in the soil and to clear Land, so pigs. You you need to think of a pig as a miniature bulldozer. You know that's what they're good at doing. So, if we have an area of land that maybe has been overrun with an invasive weed, or maybe it's an area with a lot of brush, or maybe it's an area that used to be an open field but now the saplings are starting to grow and the. Uh, 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 raspberry brambles have come back and that kind of thing we will put our pigs in that area so our pigs are um, sort of pasture raised in that sense and we will uh, section the area off so that the pigs don't have run of the whole area at first You know, we want them to be in a smaller concentrated area so that they really dig it up. And they will uh, dig up rocks and roots and stumps and all kinds of things. And then once they've done a really nice job of clearing that area, I extend the fence a little bit more to give them new area to start digging in. Um, So through that whole process they are, you know, doing what a little bulldozer would do, all while they're also dropping their manure. Um, So it's a great way to use animals to help you reclaim uh, old pasture or just to improve the quality of your land.
0: So that's interesting because that's actually why we had gotten sheep was to kind of um, turn some forested land more into pasture and to get their manure and get them to do all those kinds of things. So, but you use pig, but do you not use your sheep
1: for that? We do. We use the sheep for that as well. I mean, the the pigs are, um, they, you know, The ability they have that the sheep don't have is they have that nose, which is their little bulldozer nose, and they can do a lot of rooting and digging up. So if I have a place that has a lot of rocks, that has a lot of stumps or roots, or it has plants that I actually want pulled out of the ground, that's where I put my pigs. You know, the sheep are really good at browsing. They will clean the foliage off of uh, saplings. They will strip bark. Um, they'll eat invasive weeds, but they're not going to do the ground and the soil work of turning soil over. So that's kind of the difference between them. Now, I also, when we raised chickens, I used them as well. And, you know, if I had an area of the field that I wanted to. Uh, reseed and put more seed down. I would put the chickens in that area first because they would dig up and eat weed seeds and they would drop their manure and um, the the only tricky thing about using the chickens is they really have to move quickly through an area. Because if you leave their chicken coop there, we had one of these portable coops that you could move. And if we left it there too long, their manure is so acidic that it will actually kill the grass, you know, if it's too concentrated. Sure. Um,
0: The one thing Mike talked about chickens that, um, he likes is that their manure, this, the seed won't like, um, like if you get like horse or cow manure, he said the seed can practically go through a horse or a cow, whereas a chicken, like the weed seed is definitely gone for good. Kind of probably because it also has that high acidic thing, but good to know, Uh, this is making me think of like all the chemicals and pesticides people spray all over the place to get rid of these noxious weeds. And in the meantime, we've like a country addicted to bacon. Like, why don't we have, and like, it's probably healthier. But then like, that was also what I'm wondering, like, are the animals getting enough nutrients this way? Or do you have to like kind of supplement it? Or do you only do this at one time a year anyway? Like, how does that work?
1: Oh, they get plenty of nutrients, yeah, <laughs> plenty of nutrients. I mean, we, for instance, we have unfortunately a large area of Japanese knotweed, which is like almost impossible to get rid of it's It's just horribly invasive, and the the roots are so extensive, and the root balls are so large, it's just really a pain, but um. My sheep love to eat it, and I was talking with someone last year about it, and I said something about, you know, I'm not really sure if it has the nutrients it needs, and they looked at me and said, my goodness, Kim, Japanese knotweed is full of nutrients. It's wonderful stuff, and he went on to tell me about different people, and I forget now what country these people live in. Uh, He may not have told me, but I can't remember now. And he said they actually harvest it when it's first coming up and very tender and eat it because of the nutrient level. And the, the other thing with sheep is a lot of the foliage, the leaves on plants have a high level of tannin in them. And tannin is good in helping to fight. The parasites that naturally occur in sheep, so um, you know there's kind of a nice balance there as well. You know, I've always been one who thinks if you leave things alone in nature, it all balances out. You know, (laughs) every everybody gets the nutrients they need and the protection they need, and you, you
0: know, yeah. We definitely have, but invasive weeds are like—I don't know. We definitely have a problem in Montana with this invasive weed we have here called spotted knapweed, um, mm. that comes in through people's, you know, truck tires and things. Yes. But, um, but I definitely feel like there's got to be natural weeds. I hate that people spray chemicals, and I frequently wonder if that's why we can't keep bees here like we're struggling so hard to keep our bees alive because I feel like they probably go out my neighbor's spray and Mm -hmm. um that's all I can figure because Mike says they're not freezing they're not they're not lasting long enough to even freeze they're not even getting that cold they're dying in the fall and so I don't know what's going on It's very sad but anyway Kim what are you guys excited to do different next year's or something you're going to try new is it just downsizing yeah. It's just funny because I am like totally going Marie Kondo on my house. Like I have my little tidying book and I have been tidying for two weeks and it, it is, it's working really well. Let me tell you, because I am a clutter bug and uh, so downsizing is working for me. So what's working for you guys or what's new? What's new? I mean, that might be totally off. What are you excited? That's new. Yeah. Or that You're going to try.
1: Well, I tell you, we, we have a flock of Gotland sheep and that's what really excites me
0: so tell us um, what makes a what's different about a gotland than a regular sheep or like what like and their wool you you have them for the wool right if like you have gorgeous pictures of wool on your website
1: Yeah, well, we used to raise Romney sheep. And then I tell people I had a midlife crisis. (laughs) And I said, I need something different. Um, You know, I was realizing my kids were all going to be leaving home. And I was already had a couple kids that had left home. And I just needed a new focus because, you know, you, you take a homeschooling mom who's been homeschooling for 18 years. And then one day, all that comes to an end. It's like, I need something to do. I need something to focus on, so I can't even imagine <laughs> uh, so we We got this other breed of sheep, and Gotland sheep originate in Sweden. And about 12 years ago, a group of breeders wanted to bring them to the United States. Well, you're not allowed to import a live sheep, but you can import semen. So these breeders started importing semen from the UK as well as from Sweden. And you begin literally building the breed in the United States from ground zero up. Um, so if you have a ewe that is 0% gotland, like you take a border luster or a blue Leicester luster or an Icelandic sheep, you artificially inseminate her with gotland semen. Her offspring have 50% border luster genetics and 50% gotland genetics. So now I have this little ewe that's 50% gotland, I artificially inseminate her, and her daughters and sons are now 75% Gotland. So you can see that over time, you very slowly build the breed in the United States. So there's been this upbreeding program going on and by the time we came into it, there were gotland sheep in the U.S. in the 90 percentile range, you know, anywhere from 90 to 93 percent. So we came in after a lot of really hard work had happened. Um, So I feel pretty fortunate about that. Um, But we have this Uh, flock of Gotland sheep they are very unique um, very unique breed in Sweden they're raised for their pelts and they are known for their gray curls Uh, most sheep wool has a crimp to it and that's what makes it kind of springy and bouncy and when you knit with it, it the knitted item feels kind of squishy Well, gotland sheep do not have crimp, they have curl. And so what you get with that is a lot of luster and a lot of silky drapiness um, rather than the springy uh, crimpiness to it. Um, They're also unique because they have these uh, dark black faces and black legs that don't grow wool on them. So they're what I call a clean breed. Um, their, their faces are clean. Their legs are clean. Their belly wool is very short, which also makes them clean. Um, the other noteworthy thing about them is they are extremely friendly. Like these lambs, when they're and born, that's important. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know the the lambs when they're born seek out attention from people. You know they they want to be held, they want to be loved, they want that attention, and they're Aww. almost kind of goat like in that way. You know, I I think of goats as being very personable. A goat wants to have a conversation with you. You know, and that's how these sheep are. Um, And so they're also a smaller breed. My Romney ewes weigh 200 to 225 pounds. My rams were 250 pounds. They were big animals, but the Gotland sheep, my ewes range from like 135 pounds to 150 pounds. Um, And my rams are more like 165, 175. So they're a smaller breed, makes them easy to handle, uh, the fact is so, they're friendly do you sh-
0: shear them for their wool or you said something about pelts or but you're yeah. you're making wool you've all such a cool felt and yarn yes. and you go yes. ahead.
1: so on our farm and for much much of the us i mean they're still considered a pretty rare breed in the us in that there just aren't very many of them yet and so most people raising them are raising them for their fiber Um, on my farm I raise them for their wool and I also raise them to sell breeding stock you know that's my top priority is to put out the best breeding stock that I can and sell to other people that want to raise them so,
0: so how many do you guys do you have? There looks like there's quite a few in the photos. They're yeah. so lovely with those pretty yellow flowers. Are those dandelions or just like those
1: are dandelions.
0: Yeah. So lovely. It just looks gorgeous. And they look like the coolest sheep. I love their fur and just uh This is so interesting. So it's Gotland is G O T L A N D. It almost looks like goat, but then there's yes. that there's not that A and I wonder um if it has anything to do with that got to say I didn't know that goats always want to talk to
1: you. <laughs> yeah. Well, any goat I've ever met <laughs> wanted to talk to me. But uh, I tell people we do not have enough. When they say how many do you have? I say not enough. Uh-huh. I could never have enough. Um but our numbers vary. You know, through the winter I'll keep 15 to 20. And then in the summer, depending on how many lambs we have, we may have anywhere from 30 to 40, you know. Um, that and, sounds so perfect. Yeah. So I, I just love them. And I'm so excited about the breed. And we're involved in some uh, kind of uh, genetic projects that I'm excited about. And we're also taking a tour group with us to gotland island sweden in june
0: oh how exciting
1: yeah my husband and i went to gotland three years ago when we first got the sheep we'd had them for about a year and we made a trip there i wanted to see the real thing in sweden you know and wanted to meet oh that sounds so
0: cool sure
1: yeah so Ever since we came back, I wanted to go back again, and I wanted to take a tour group with me. So we've arranged this tour, and we're taking 10 other people with us in June. And I think that's just going to be lots of fun. Um, It's going to be a full farm, Swedish farm immersion trip. So are you going to stay at
0: one particular farm for the whole time or? We
1: are actually, we're staying, we've rented a farmhouse on a Gotland sheep farm and that's going to be our base. And then we've set up appointments with other sheep farms throughout the week. Um, And uh, we're also going to go into Visby, which is the walled city Um, You know, Gotland Island dates back to the Viking era, and it is full of Viking ruins and history. So we'll take time to explore some of that. And we're just going to explore the island all the way as far north and as far south as we can go. So it's just going to be lots of fun.
0: Now that sounds like the kind of vacation, an island I would want to go to. Like, I am not a hot weather person, but going to Norway to an island sounds pretty exciting. Uh, well, what a fun trip. And like, so then, and you have people come, these are like all new ideas. I just talked to, um, oh, is his name Ray Tyler down in somewhere. And I was telling him how I've always wanted to grow some flowers. And his first thought when I said that is that he thought I wanted to grow some flowers for like, Is it agro tourism where people come and take pictures in your sunflowers? I had never heard of that. I want to go sunflowers for either like bird seed or like I ate my first sunflower (laughs) microgreens this winter. And I'm kind of like pretty excited about that prospect too.
1: Um,
0: But uh, is it, is it a similar climate to where you are
1: in Vermont? It is a similar climate. Yes. It's, it's though, uh, um, I mean, Gotland Island itself is in the middle of the Baltic Sea, and their climate is more mild than what we have here in the winter months. Um, But there are parts of Sweden on the mainland in northern Sweden where the climate is very much like ours. Um, but you know, you talked about agritourism, that is a huge piece of what we do on our farm. And I would really encourage anyone to look into it. You know, it's a fabulous. Tell us way. more about it. Like, how does that work?
0: And how did you start? Like, how, how did you get your first guests and how did that all yeah. come about?
1: I mean, agritourism looks very different. On different farms, you know, basically what agritourism is, it's bringing the general public onto your farm property. And that can be through farm tours, apple picking, uh, uh, hay
0: rides, pizza work. dinners. Yeah. Actually now that you say that and I do remember talking to uh Marissa Pecos down at uh Farms I think and she did a kind of agritourism kind of thing like where they would have people come stay. Mm-hmm. So what is what are people like what's your place like when people come stay there? Like so, do you have groups at a time or just like couples or families or Yeah.
1: So what we do for agritourism is we have farm stays. I mean not everyone does a farm stay. You know, some people might offer tours, but they don't offer overnight accommodations. But on our farm, we do offer overnight accommodations, and our suite can sleep up to five people. Um, But I also take tour groups. You know, I've had knitting groups come who wanted to see the sheep and wanted to hear about the sheep. Uh, We've also run summer camps for children on our farm in the past. And the kids would come for a full week. They would be really involved in taking care of the animals. And we also taught them fiber art skills. So felting and weaving and knitting, you know, those kinds of things. Um, well, and you're probably an expert at that kind of thing because you've
0: been homeschooling your own children for so long. That probably just is like a natural extension
1: of your life. Yeah. It's well, such a
0: great opportunity for kids.
1: Right. What was interesting with the summer camp, the way it came about is I had a woman contact me who lives an hour away, and she asked me if she could help me do some farm work. So I said, sure. So she came for a few different times to help me do, mainly we were doing things with the sheep. And one day she said, Kim, would you run a summer camp for my children and anyone else I could find to join. And I said, sure. Well, what happened was as the mothers would call me to sign up for this summer camp, the mothers started to say, well, I want to come to camp. I want to farm camp. (laughs) So what, what we did was we ran two camps at the same time. We had a camp for children And my children were the teachers of that camp. And then we ran a mom's camp, and I led the moms. So it it was great. You know, it was a great experience for my kids, you know, to be in that teaching role. Sure. And that's probably why they ended up going to Stanford.
0: Yeah. (laughs) They say that's the way kids learn best is by teaching.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Everybody, for that matter. Yeah. Yeah. But they say that when they're sharing their knowledge and and, and teaching things, that's when kids learn like 90% is, like the best, like, whereas like sitting in a lecture hall is like 10% they retain. Uh, yeah. Anyway, tell us about something that didn't go the way you thought it was going to go in your journey.
1: Oh, boy. Hmm. Something that didn't go the way I thought it would go. Oh, I don't know. I mean, you know, farming is full of trials. And so we've had some difficult times in our farming, but I wouldn't say it necessarily uh, didn't go the way I expected it. It was just we got dealt some difficult situations, (laughs) you know. I guess the hardest thing was when we first got sheep, I had bought a small flock, and the first year that we bred these sheep, I had a ewe that had a prolapse. And, you know, I had been so careful in trying to select the sheep that I purchased, and this was a ewe that she had already lambed in the past. She had been a successful mom, had lambed successfully, And now she prolapsed. And the woman that I bought her from encouraged me to breed her again and to keep her daughters. She thought it was just some fluke that happened. So I kept her daughter and I kept the mom. And then the first year that I bred her daughter, the mother and the daughter prolapsed. Well, I had a very small flock. And I had been keeping all the ewes out of this initial ewe that prolapsed the first time. And I remember I had the sheep specialist that worked for the state of Vermont on our farm because the woman that had sold me this ewe told me it was my fault that I had overfed her. And that caused all these sheep to prolapse because. I didn't know what I was doing with feed program. So I had been working for two years with this sheep specialist. I literally weighed every single ounce of food those sheep ate because I didn't want to overfeed them. I didn't want this to happen again, you know. And finally, I remember standing in my barn looking at this guy saying, I don't get it. You know, why is this happening to me? And he said, just look at how much you've learned in a short period of time. And I said, well, I guess so. (laughs) But what I realized I had to do is I had to get rid of that entire line of sheep, because for whatever reason, and we could never find the reason why they were prolapsing. It was, I think, just a genetic fluke you know and i had to get rid of them well that was three that was three quarters of my flock oh my gosh three because i had a small flock that was three quarters that was pretty devastating it was a huge financial loss it was a loss of you know that's what i
0: was wondering did you eat the meat or you just had
1: to what do you well Actually, we were quite fortunate, very fortunate. I advertised them for sale as pets, and I was, you know, I was very honest about everything. And I had a couple who had been raising Icelandic sheep, and they had a huge... They had been huge sheep farmers, you know, years ago, and they raised tons and tons and tons of sheep for meat. They had a big meat farm, and they were downsizing. They were getting out of the Icelandics, but the wife just wanted some pet sheep, so she bought them all.
0: Oh, so they got to just retire nicely? Well, that's a happy story
1: that was a very happy ending because you know what usually happens is these sheep go to auction you know and and they're bought and they're they're harvested for their meat that's usually the way they end so it was good for me to know that they went on and and they lived their lives out we're still good friends with the couple that bought them and they're, those sheep are no longer alive; they've, you know, died of natural causes. But they lived a long life and had a good life and provided her with lots of lovely wool. So, so I would say that was the most devastating thing uh, that didn't go the way I'd hoped it would go. Uh, was when we first started with those sheep.
0: So I wanted to ask you about what do you feed them? Like, how big is your farm?
1: Well, we own about 16 acres, and I would say eight of the acres are open pasture. Um, So our sheep are all grass-fed in the summer, and in the winter we feed hay. Now that my ewes have just finished lambing, I do supplement the ewes with some grain, um, just to be sure that their milk is coming in. And that they're getting uh, enough nutrients to start to regain their body condition as well as raise their lambs. So, you know, they'll be on grain for maybe six weeks. And by that point, we're going to be back out on pasture again. And I will slowly wean them off of that grain. Interesting.
0: Uh well, this is kind of the part of the show that we call kind of the lightning round. So do you have a least favorite activity to either do in the garden or with the sheep, like something you got to kind of force yourself to do that you don't really like about
1: it? Um, wow. You know, I like every aspect, but my least favorite thing mm-hmm. is bookkeeping. I absolutely loathe my bookkeeping. You know, and, and that is the challenge of having a small farm. I don't have enough funds to hire people. I don't have enough funds to hire things out like my bookkeeping. So I have to do everything. I'm in charge of my bookkeeping, my marketing, my website design, uh, taking care of the animals, um, you know, doing the physical labor of cleaning the barn. You know, I have to do it all and that's really hard. I so I struggle with feeling like I'm I'm good at everything I do, but I'm not really good at any one or two things because I'm spread too thin, if that makes sense, you know. I wonder if
0: there's somebody you could trade some wool for to do your bookkeeping. (laughs)
1: Uh,
0: But I can totally relate. Like I put off my tax as we are bearing down on tax day four days away. Uh, I totally can relate to that struggle. So on the flip side, what's
1: your favorite activity to do? You know, my favorite activity is anything with the sheep. You know, I, I think my favorite time of year is the spring, because in Vermont, you are coming off of a very long winter, and all of a sudden, you begin to have the spring activities on the farm, and for us, we do maple sugaring, so making maple syrup is one of the first farm activities, and at the same time that's happening, we're getting new lambs. So it's just a really exciting time on the farm. You know, you've got the new life, you've got the uh, maple syrup, and and the days are a little bit warmer. There's that hope that, wow, the grass will turn green one day, you know. (laughs) I can totally
0: relate, because I took this year off of teaching out of the classroom and have been home, and I feel like it's been the longest winter ever, partly because in Montana, we didn't really get winter until, like, March 1st was, like, first days before zero, like, super cold, tons of snow, like, March came in, like, the biggest lion ever, and I feel like... (laughs) This was the longest winter, so I can totally relate. Mike's been raking our lawn, and it's finally turning green, but then we have our mud season. It's been raining, but I am not complaining. It's been good. So, how about, like, what's the best gardening advice or sheep advice you've ever received?
1: Um, boy. Hmm. I am not sure. I think the best sheep advice I've ever been given is back off and don't stress so much. (laughs) You know, when you have a small flock, you can tend to micromanage. And, you know, for the most part, they really don't need to be micromanaged. Um, So just kind of backing off has been one of the best things.
0: Well, that's great advice. Uh, Do you have like a favorite tool, like either for, I don't know, felting or making yarn or cleaning, shearing the sheep
1: or gardening,
0: either way, or one of each, like if you want to name two tools. Because you seem to have a ton of experience, so...
1: Uh, my favorite tool is my little red bucket on wheels. <laughs> it's it's my tough cart. It's red. It has two big wheels. And I love that thing. It It's great for the garden. Um, it can hold up to 300 pounds. Not that I have any business pushing it with 300 pounds in it. But it has, you know, it's strong, it's sturdy. It's great for all the gardening work that I have to do. Um, and it's, I use it all through the winter as well, because it has these big wheels on it that are, they're like a wheel you'd see on a mountain bike. So I can push that thing through the snow and ice without any problem. So, that, so where'd but,
0: you get that? I've been looking for something that sounds a lot like that. Like I can't quite right. picture what
1: it looks like, but I've been looking for like a really good cart. I bought that from Gardener's Supply. They have a catalog. They're actually based in Vermont, but um, they also do a big catalog business. But that's where it came from, was Gardener's Supply. Hey, that's good to know.
0: They actually gave me some 20% off coupons to share with my listeners that... Like one day I'll find them and then I kind of misplace them. And I've never, I feel awful because they sent me, they sent me them to put with these like gift baskets that I was going to make. And then I ended up only like sending out like two of them. And then I have like 10 coupons. Uh, So awesome. So i have to look for that. And
1: yeah, I should do something
0: for listeners about those coupons.
1: Let me tell you the other thing they have, which I use and I love. They have these, um, I don't know what you call them. they're they're panels that you use for like your peas to grow up on or your cucumbers to climb. Like and a trellis? Yeah, like a trellis, but they it's like a a big uh, rectangular shaped panel that's uh, you know made out of metal and it's like this metal grid. And then it has these two poles that you stick down in the dirt. And so this uh, panel just kind of sits at an angle. And they are fantastic. I can move those anywhere I need them. They're lightweight, but they're sturdy. You know, I can plant my cucumbers on there and the cucumbers will, you know, climb them. But they have great garden tools like that and I just love mine. It's worth every penny.
0: Well, that's awesome because you know those are like especially like green beans are the kind of things that you want to be able to move because they add so much nitrogen and just nutrients to your soil. So what a Mm -hmm. super tip. How about what's your favorite recipe to cook from the
1: garden? Uh huh. Well, our favorite a few years ago we put in an outdoor pizza oven at the end of our garden, and it's underneath this shelter. So our favorite thing to do in the summers is you start in the greenhouse, and you start harvesting from the greenhouse. First, you have the greenhouse with, you know, you'll get some summer squash and maybe some tomatoes. Then you come to the cold frames, you might pick some spinach along the way, then you keep walking, you come to a little herb garden, you pick your herbs, you end up at the pizza oven, and we love to make uh, wood-fired pizzas in the summer and these are not your normal pizzas you know we get pretty darn creative with our garden right there you know and what we put on our pizzas so that's my favorite thing it's a you know we always do it when we have people over friends or community you know over to enjoy pizza with us it's a lot of fun um so that's my favorite communal, <laughs> you know, meal with our garden. Um, but my other favorite thing to do is I still really enjoy making relish. I have a zucchini relish recipe that I absolutely love. Um, and that's a favorite.
0: Wow. Well, those are both great tips. Uh, my stepdaughter works at this like uh, food truck that has a wood fired pizza in it and they are so good uh and they i couldn't believe how fast they cooked. does it cook super fast like their pizza was done in like three or four minutes or something crazy
1: well the oven gets to like 900 degrees so our our pizzas cook in about 60 seconds oh my gosh
0: yeah i think she cooks the crust a little bit and then puts the sauce Mm -hmm. and all this cheese and everything goodies on it and then puts it back in Uh, I don't know if it's 60 seconds. I don't know. Um, but cool. That sounds awesome. And zucchini relish. I'm just a big fan of zucchini in any way, shape or form. How about your favorite internet resource? Where do you like to surf on the web?
1: Oh boy. Um, Hmm. That's a good question. You know, I, If I have a question about something, I will definitely Google, um, you know, but as far as
0: that works, I've had lots of listeners say Google, unless you have something more specific.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's really not one specific place that I end up going, but I will say that for me, If I really have a concern, whether it's with my garden or with my sheep, I tend to go to my mentors.
0: That's a great uh, resource. How about a favorite reading material like a book or magazine you can recommend?
1: I can recommend a fantastic author named Wendell Berry. Oh, yeah. And I owe that to my daughter, who's the English major, who introduced me to this author a little over a year ago, and I have absolutely loved reading his materials. Wendell Berry is uh, an organic farmer who lives in Kentucky, and he's older now. I don't know how old, but my guess is he may be in his eighties at this point, and. He, in his day, he has done a lot for American agriculture, Um, you know, lobbying in Washington for American agriculture and farms. And he's also an author. He's known for his poetry as well as his fictional writing. And he has written a series of books about a rural town in Kentucky. And um, he talks a lot about the challenges that have faced agricultural America throughout history and how things like war and education and development have all changed the agricultural footprint in this country. And so his books are talking about those issues. Um, the first book that I ever read of his was called Hannah Coulter. And this is about a woman who, um, you know, lives in this agricultural town and it's written right around World War II. And she talks about all these issues. She actually loses her new husband to the war and um, And she's pregnant. So she has his baby, but he has died. And it's really a book about her life. And I was so touched by her book, because she addresses a lot of issues that I, as a woman and as a mother, have faced myself. but they're very thought-provoking books. They're absolutely wonderful. Anyone that has an interest in agriculture, whether it's having a small homestead or you have a, a production garden, you know, whatever your connection is, I think you'd really enjoy his books. Excellent, because he's been recommended,
0: but nobody's really explained what his books are about in such great detail and made people want to read them so much. How about, do you have any business advice, Kim, for people who want to maybe get started, I don't know, making a farming business or, I don't know, going into sheep
1: or? Yeah. Um. Oh, boy, I'm always full of advice. (laughs) Um. Oh, you know, I guess my bit of advice would be just go for it, you know, just do it. Don't try to work the details out. Just do it. Just go for it. Um, You know, things tend to kind of fall into place and... No, I'm
0: so excited to hear that because my husband and I have been like looking at this farm in Maine and we're actually seriously contemplating moving across the country, packing up everything. And it's like a 13 acre, um, well, there's a homestead and a 13 acre farm and a pond and, but it's in the middle of 175 total acres, Um, and just, there's a lot of reasons why we're very interested in it and just happens like my husband was like, look, up farms in Maine. It was the first one that came up and just, uh, but I am terrified. I mean, just every time I think about it, I'm just so frightened. So I'm, I am super glad to hear that. Advice, yeah, okay. Here's my final question because we've been on the phone for an hour and 10 minutes already, and I've um, it's kind of a doozy, but I know you've been dropping so many great golden seeds and just sharing lots of information. I know my listeners are gonna love this interview, and you're so eloquent and just have this really nice way of expanding on things nicely. So, are you ready Mm -hmm. for the doozy? i'm ready all right kim if there's one change you would like to see to create a greener world what would it be for example is there a charity organization you're passionate about or a project you'd like to see put into action like what do you feel is the most crucial issue facing our planets in regard to the environment either locally nationally or on a global
1: scale you know i think it lies in education you know as someone who runs a farm stay we see a lot of people across the world you know we've had people from all over the world from all different walks of life and i think a lot of people really don't understand where their food comes from they don't understand farming and agriculture And yet, I think they're very hungry for it. And I think the way that you begin to make change is you start with the children. You know, we, I will never forget the family that came and stayed with us in the spring. I had just purchased my tomato plants and their son was four years old. And I was in my greenhouse trying to get these planted and he came up and the mother came and said, Oh, I'm so sorry. He's bothering you. He's bothering you. And I said, No, he's not bothering me. Well, that little boy and I planted every single tomato plant in that greenhouse. He had never had his hands in the dirt before ever. And he loved it. And as we did, you know, we came across worms and we talked about the worms and, you know, we talked about, you know, why it needed water and why we needed to, you know, cover the roots with soil. And it was just a wonderful experience. And so I think that would be my one thing to say is... um, you know, we need to get kids back to the soil and get their hands in the dirt.
0: Oh, I'm sure my listeners are just like kind of tearing up and just, uh, (laughs) what a great answer because we've been talking, you've shared so much and you're probably ready to go. So do you just want to tell listeners how to connect with you and find your websites and all that kind of thing so they can look at these awesome pictures and all the hard work you've done there?
1: Sure. Um, People can find our website at grandviewfarmvt.com and they'll see all the links there to our farm store, our sheep, and our farm stay. Um, there's also a link there to my blog. I keep an extensive blog which is called livingwithgotlands.com and my blog talks a lot about how to care for sheep. Uh, So it's a great resource, especially for small sheep farms or for someone who's thinking about getting sheep, but they're not quite sure yet. You know, it has just tons of information there. Um, You can also follow us on Instagram and we have a farm Facebook page as well. Okay, I got to ask one more question. So, if somebody's thinking about getting sheep and
0: has never had them before, like, what's one surprising thing that they just have to know
1: that maybe they probably don't know? Oh boy, I think people that are just starting to get sheep, um, be I, I guess the the biggest question is, do they want to keep a ram or not? Um, I think that's sort of a hard point for people because caring for a ram is a little bit different from caring for ewes. And, you know, I think that's something that people need to have more knowledge about before they take a ram home. Um, is just what their needs are and what is the best way to care for them in terms of fencing and shelter and you know that kind of thing
0: well, that was excellent. I had no idea, so good to know uh i or so you don't have to have a ram uh kind of like chickens you don't need to have a chicken. I guess you would have to have a ram if you want to be a breeder, maybe you could import semen. <laughs> From Sweden. Well,
1: yeah, exactly. I mean, the only reason to have a ram is if you want to breed. You know, if you're not interested in breeding, you have no need for an intact ram on your what farm. What about for
0: protection? Or is that not really ah. enough
1: protection?
0: Yeah, you know. it didn't help us, so.
1: Yeah, I definitely... When, if I have someone who's never owned sheep before come to me and say they want to buy a starter flock, one of the first things, well, I ask them two things. What do you want to do with the sheep? Do you want to raise them for meat? Do you want to raise them for wool? Do you want to breed them? And then I ask them, what is your predator load like and if you don't know go ask local farms because you know that is a very real issue for most people in America and there are ways to deal with it on our property where we live we have bear and we have coyote and i and i've also seen a mountain lion and i've seen all of these within feet of my fence line Um, there are different choices that you have for a livestock guardian and, you know, people need to figure out which of these is going to be the best thing for them. What we have on our farm is a llama and she lives with our sheep all the time and she's a great protector. Um, but there are There are several other options. You can get a livestock guardian dog, miniature donkeys, also make great guards, Um, or you can have a really fortified fence. Um, But that's a very real issue, as you know yourself, you know, that people need to think about.
0: Yeah, my husband wants to get miniature donkeys because he doesn't want to have a dog because he doesn't want to have the dog poop out there. With the Mm -hmm. sheep. So either donkeys or... We've talked about getting a llama. Because I have a friend who has a place called Llama... Fantasyland Llamas, I think. Mm -hmm. Um... Well, thank you so much for sharing all this extra stuff. I'm so glad I asked that question. So, Kim, thank you so much for sharing everything with us today and everything that you're doing to help the environment and the great kids that you raise that are also out there, you know, being good stewards of our land, even if they're not necessarily farming 100% or whatever. I know that they, I'm sure, just, like, share your love of caring for um, animals and the planet and food and just... um, I hope we get to meet someday. What part of Vermont are you in? Like up in the north part? Are you anywhere near like, what is it? White River Junction, I think is, I've always wanted to go to.
1: Yeah, we are about 45 minutes north of White River Junction. No, that's not bad. Yeah, we're actually right in the center of the state. I I I can get to southern Maine in about three hours, you know, on the southern coastal part of Maine. But if you end up moving to Maine, you'll have to make a stop.
0: Okay. The place yeah. we're looking at's like uh, just west of Binger. Binger. Yes. Maine? Not yeah. too far. Yeah. It looks. I. It'd be amazing if it all worked out, but. Um, I don't know. I actually had a farmer go look at it for me and he sent me 107 pictures plus a video and I've only been able to download 37 of them and it's driving me crazy. And I'm like, "Ah, I can't figure out why I can't download the rest or why some came and why it's so hard. Yeah.
1: Well, you know, I, I, when I was, I'll tell you one more story. I was in my early forties and My mom came to visit, and one night she was saying that she had all these regrets in her life. Why didn't I do this? Why didn't I do that? Uh, If only I had been able to do this. And she said, and now I'm too old, or I don't have a partner, or I don't have money, or I'm not physically able, or, you know, it's too late now, and I have all these regrets. And when she left, I said to my husband, I do not want to say that when I'm that age. I do not want to be sitting here saying, why didn't we do this and that? And he said, well, what do you want to do? What, you know, what is it you want to do? And that's when I said, I want sheep. You know, I knew nothing about sheep. He's like, wow, well, okay, we can do that. You know, I knew nothing about sheep. I didn't know how to knit. I didn't know anything about wool. I knew nothing, absolutely nothing. But we went and we got sheep, you know, and I just think you're never too old. In fact, I think the older you get, sometimes those are the very years that you are ripe and ready to do something new. You know, it's like you need you need to constantly have new energy in your life and new learning opportunities. You know, I could not have
0: agreed more. Granted. I don't feel like I will ever die with any regrets because I I managed to kick my bucket list before I turned 50 for the most part. And <laughs> I just feel like... But I also feel like in the last five years of my life, I've done more than in the first 45 to begin with. And if the next mm. 15 to 20 or whatever... Like, I feel exactly like you. Like, I have all this experience. I have all this wisdom. Like, I've waited all this time. People have always said, oh, you don't know enough. Like, now I feel like I know enough and I have... And I know what things I do like and what things I don't like and it's just kind of hard for us because we've always thought like we have my husband grew up on a 1200 acre ranch and we have the last 20 acres. He built our house with his own two hands. We've worked so hard here. It's like so hard to imagine. We both, you know, always thought this was where we'd be forever. Um, but he's the one that was like, Hey, look up farms in Maine. They have like, I don't know they got some new governor and he was really into their politics and they have like, uh, uh, they want to go like, you know, renewable energy free by or whatever, you know, invest in renewable energy by 2020 or 2030 or something really cool. And just as we are getting older, like we don't want to wait for Montana to get there more thinking maybe. I don't know. It's all like, you know, part, I just feel like if it's meant to happen, it's going to happen. But Um, we're looking into it more seriously than we have anything else we've ever looked into, but I love the way you put all that. So thank you so much for sharing with us today, Kim. And just, you've been such a great guest and I hope listeners will, you know, reach out to you and just, um, I hope we do meet. And if you ever come out here to like go to Glacier Park or something, definitely look me up. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, do you just want to tell listeners how to connect with you and find your websites and all that kind of thing so they can look at these awesome pictures and all the hard work you've done there? Sure.
1: Um, people can find our website at GrandviewFarmVT.com and they'll see all the links there to our farm store, our sheep, and our farm stay. Um, there's also a link there to my blog. I keep an extensive blog, which is called LivingWithGotlands.com, and my blog talks a lot about how to care for sheep. Uh, so it's a great resource, especially for small sheep farms or for someone who's thinking about getting sheep, but they're not quite sure yet. You know, it has just tons of information there. Um, You can also follow us on Instagram, and we have a farm Facebook page as well. All right. Well, thanks. You have a great day. All right. Thank you. Bye. Oh, yeah. And then don't forget,
0: we're giving away a copy of Melissa Norris's book. Um, It's going to launch on January 7th, but if you sign up – in the Melissa Norris show notes like it's like right there right away and I think like I had a problem with my website and it was down and then they've re-put it up and now the show notes just appear underneath like when you go to details the whole show notes are there um and I don't know when I'm going to figure out how to fix that so you can just go to details and and then the link to sign up to when the book is right there so um, if you want a copy of her family garden plan uh, all you have to do is click on the show notes do you know someone who would benefit from the organic gardener podcast if you like what you hear we'd love it if you'd share the organic gardener podcast with a friend thanks again for listening and remember grow local